You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. One of the biggest things you've probably picked up with the podcast is the fact that we always talk about long-term lasting habitat techniques, recommendations, things you can do at a property that makes sense for a long-term investment and that complement the native landscape. So it only makes sense to work with Pure Natives, supplier of native seed for your property. They've got it all from bedding cover to wildflower mixes, pollinator mixes, CRP mixes, everything from a wide variety that you can provide for your native species, whether it be in a marshy area or a dry glade, wherever you're at in the country, they probably got something for you. And special to the podcast listeners, when you are placing an order, make sure you mention the Land and Legacy podcast for a 10% discount on all seed varieties. For me, what I find most exciting is anybody who's ever looked at native grass mixes or native species mixes they probably see a little bit more expensive price tag Mm -hmm. and oftentimes that goes with there are species that are rare or a little bit harder to get that are in those blends so the price goes up working specifically with pure air natives we've come up with some blends that are very beneficial but we've placed species in those blends that are a little bit more affordable so instead of seeing a 400 or 500 dollar an acre price tag we're looking at stuff under the $150 price range That's per it. acre. So it's more important to see more acres devoted to good native habitat than it is to spend all that money. We want to make it affordable and have the good base species and let let nature take its course and diversity come back into those stands. Absolutely. Check it out pureairnatives.com. Well, welcome to another Land and Legacy podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. And we are right here on Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, and we are... Clay Newcomb is calling me right now. ...doing things a little <laughs> different today for you guys um, just listening. We are actually live on our YouTube, our Facebook, and our Instagram page. And so we've got screens everywhere pointed at us, a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> but we thought we would do things a little different so you guys could interact with us and uh, pitch us questions concerns or comments about how stupid our face might look <laughs> that's okay it, it was funny oh my my wife had had said this the other day and you know i 
tried to take it as a compliment, but just couldn't end up doing it. She goes, you know, you have a face for podcasting. I was That's like, right. Hey, thank you so much. So here's to you, sweetheart. We're yep. putting the face out there and um, doing some live podcasting on social media. So yep. something new for us. Absolutely. Hats. Hats. Once again, if you didn't catch it, our hats are on. They're here. Couple, uh, you can go to our LandonLegacy.tv shop tab and see the hats. And that will take you to LandonLegacyApparel.com, or you can just go to LandonLegacyApparel.com to check them out. Currently, we have three conservation caps and two logo caps. Um, more things to come in the future. Um, hopefully, you enjoy. Uh, you think they're cool. You purchased a few. Of course, as you May or may not know, $5 to each conservation cap purchase goes directly to a nonprofit conservation organization like the Quality Deer Management Association, the National Wild Turkey Federation, or Quail Forever. So go check them out, support us, and help us support conservation. A couple questions have came through. Now, this is a hunting podcast, so we'll talk a little bit about our hunting strategy for late season. Mine is be a supportive husband and be at the hospital when baby is born. Um, Which could come could any come minute now. Any minute. You could see me grab the headphones and throw them off and storm out of here, and if that's the case, you know where I'm headed. Um, or uh, it could be all the way up to December 10th. Missouri alternative gun season starts December the 22nd 21st 21st 22nd somewhere in there and so late around the holidays it's going to be late december and uh anyway um that's probably going to be the next time i really get back to hunting hardcore we've got a duck hunt plan with stratton seed company and in january um two trips actually in january hopefully that we can make it down um so yeah. I'm excited to be chasing some Ooh. ducks. And, from, uh, from the predictions and what they've been talking about, um, brushing in blinds, what they're seeing down there, it appears as if it could be a phenomenal duck season. And uh, despite despite a lot of water in the area, um, we're still looking forward to it. It's probably going to be better than southwest Missouri waterfowl hunting. So that's a plus. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't <laughs> it, take it's a not, lot yeah, to I be say, better. It's not easy to top. Uh, I mean, that's not hard to top. But yeah. it, uh, it's going to be a fun time. Those guys are great. They're fun um, to hang out with and just strike up conversation. It's a good camp atmosphere, which is important. We love that. So hunting strategy, late season, find the food source. Hopefully the food source that's, uh, if it's cold, we're going to find the, the, uh, the standing grain. For yeah. us, that's a Stratton standing wild game changer field that's got the Legacy Blend broadcasted into it. So yeah. we've got standing grains and greens. Um, and that's really been kind of just a spot that we haven't hunted but once or twice, and we're waiting for those cold temperatures for the deer to go in there and and eat on those standing beans. We do have a couple questions that's came through. Facebook. Facebook. You guys have a good program. Uh, you guys know of a good program you could put pasture ground into because Missouri will not let you put it into CRP unless it has crops on it for three or four years. Uh, this right here from Joshua Coleflesh, um, great question, and that is correct. A lot of the CRP programs, or maybe all of them. It's got to be cropped. Got to be cropped. The person has to own the property for at least one full year, and it has to have had crops on it for in production for three or four years. So if you have 
old pasture or pasture that had cows or livestock on it of some sort, and you're trying to convert it into something that's beneficial to wildlife, currently what I would look into is a pollinator blend that doesn't require the, it's going to be a little bit different. Or there's a lot of great programs for quail in the EQIP uh, program the through the USD Soil and Water. Um, so look into, CRP is the one that everybody knows because of cattle or crop farmers converting crop ground into grasses and these other CRP mixes. Um, you could, there's a lot of great programs currently, especially, and I, I believe we just missed the cutoff for the pollinator enrollment for 2019, but there's probably some sort of program that you can find that would be um, for pollinators, which is huge right now. And, and this unfortunately, is the time frame. Unf yes, and unfortunately, I just saw some research out of South California, some wintering mm -hmm. grounds, basically their fall numbers for monarch butterflies are drastically down Dropping, really like yeah. horribly um and so there's probably in the next few years you're going to see a lot currently there's already a lot of programs for pollinators but unfortunately due to mankind we're going to start seeing more programs trying to help monarchs and other pollinators because they're they're crucial to our survival and, so and don't be shy away from the fact that it's called pollinator blend and you're like well i'm a deer hunter or i i like turkeys all those species or, or the high diversity of species that will be included in a blend like that uh, will provide a lot of forage <laughs> go ahead all right yeah i just read a comment <laughs> oh. we'll provide a lot of forage for um a huge variety of wildlife species and additional cover. It may not be exactly what you're looking for in the height of, uh, you know, let's say an Indian grass, switchgrass, big blue stem. However, there's a lot of beneficial things that will still come out of that pollinator blend um, and, and offer a huge attraction to your property that others around you most likely do not have. So I would encourage you to look into it and think about, um, you know, the fact that you're going to offer something the wildlife do want, but don't have readily available. It's, right. it's a limited resource and they're going to utilize that for sure. Um, so definitely be looking, um, into a program like that, Josh. Mark Glenn says predictions, Alabama versus Georgia. I can't believe, can't believe you guys are doing a, a podcast during the SEC championship roll tide. <laughs> I didn't even realize it because, uh, we don't, I don't get that big into college football and, um, the only, the only yeah. sport that oh, I'll say roll tide. Um, I don't know why, just cause I know there's a lot of people <laughs> that are probably irritated with that comment, yeah. but, um, no, I really don't care. Um, and frankly, it, I, I get into St. Louis Cardinals. That's about the only thing. And I don't really even get that involved in it anymore just cause we're so busy with everything else. But, um, good luck to you, Mark. I know you're, it looks like you're pulling for Alabama. And history will hopefully prove maybe you're going to be happy again. Because um, it'd be hard to say Roll Tide and not be a bandwagon, right? That's right. So, Or at uh, least get the blame for being that. Hey, there's a question there on YouTube. What does old Travis Smith have to say? He says, in Michigan, I top sow wheat, rye, and turnips in late summer into my clover. Would you add that mix uh, Would you add to that mix buckwheat, millet, or something else? Have you ever tried sugar beets? Um, I have not ever tried sugar beets. Um, that would definitely be something that would be f uh, cool to try. I have nothing against sugar beets. 
Um, they're typically a little more expensive than plain old turnips, um, purple top turnips and radishes. So therefore, um, that's, that, that's why I haven't ever tried it. Um, nothing against them, but if you can get them for a, the same price, yeah, absolutely. But I don't see a drastic, um, I haven't based on people that I know have tried them. Don't notice a, a bigger attraction between them or turnips. So I go with the cheaper route. Um, when it comes to the addition of buckwheat and millet, yes. um, that's not technically a fall time. Uh, I took that seed. as maybe he's asking for the spring. I wouldn't do it in the fall. Right. right. Um, that would be something I would add to my clover fields in the spring. Absolutely. Maturity um, on buckwheat is very quick, like under 60 days. It's typically. a great soil builder. Yep. It's great for pollinators, and deer love it. And will shade out your clover if you're planting in the springtime, provide shade for the clover so it's still palatable um, and does not basically suck in the nutrients into the root system uh, for basically throughout the summer months. So it can be a great addition to clover fields. Um, millet would do the same and then provide a grain later into the fall if you were to do that. We get that question a lot. How can I help my uh, clover fields? And that is a big part. Adding other species that are beneficial to your clover. And basically you're just replacing what what nature does whenever you plant a legume like a clover, a clover monoculture, and they're fixating nitrogen for a long time. You're getting this abundance of nitrogen in the soil, and then something happens. You get a drought, or um, it gets flooded, and all of a sudden, boom, you have a bunch of weeds come up. Well, if you're planting diversity, adding diversity through your cereal grains in the fall and buckwheat and millet in the spring, um, you're just basically putting something there to take up that nitrogen and you're providing better um, better diversity which is only going to help your clover and, and overall help that area so absolutely if you're looking for a way to combat weeds um, in your clover fields add something else to it during a certain time of the year so it could be clover or sorry it could be wheat it could be oats it could be um, turnips in the fall and it also could be millets and buckwheat in the or in Milo the or in, Milo in the, in the spring. spring. Yep. So um, we had a couple questions. Yep. Kevin is in the he's in the blind right now. Um, technology, haha. Ha. Yeah, absolutely. He's in Maryland. We'll see you soon, sir. I'm curious about the second rut. Talk about uh, that with the late season, how it makes deer move around a lot more. Here in Wisconsin, deer find standing corn until it's harvested, and they're forced to move. The second rut theory. Uh, seems to help your thoughts I don't see it as a theory I see it as biological nature um, certainly have experienced it I think the deciding factor or determining factor of the intensity of the second rut that people would experience is dependent upon the of the excuse me the yearling fawn crop and specifically the doe fawns if they come or, or get to a certain weight in our area, it's roughly 55, 60 pounds when they become receptive, and that usually falls in the mid-December time frame. And so when that happens, they become receptive or sexually viable, and then you get to experience what a lot of people term as a secondary rut. And, and did bucks, you mention if the doe is not bred in her first cycle? Not yet. Okay. So that's that's one reason why someone would experience that. So again, depending on that, that fawn recruitment rate, um, you might experience it very intensely um, in an area. And so, or, or 
the availability of quality food resources up until mid-December time frame um, will help them get to that peak weight. So forage from when it's born all the way through the winter time is super important so you can have that experience based on that second rut from the fawn standpoint. And right? if, if habitat is poor, you don't then really you don't experience really that. experience it. So the better habitat, the second rut, should be more active and you should see more deer activity because you have more fawns reaching um, weight to where they become um, mature enough to uh, become receptive. So that's where, once again, what do you know? Improve the habitat to experience better hunting. Yeah, I think back to a buck um, harvested several years ago and on trail camera, and this is in the timber, uh, mid-December, I think it was December 18th, and we had seen um, a couple doe groups moving through this area just very regularly daily and that was that time frame in our area where we thought hey it'd be a great idea to hunt that area see if any bucks are cruising that area based on the fact that hopefully those fawns would become if not already be receptive and ended up that a target buck steps out came cruising by and was able to harvest him um so it's definitely a thing. It's definitely something that we look for, and we'll kind of be monitoring that activity on trail cameras uh, during that time frame, and then watching how deer are reacting to one another in a food source as well. That's super important because you can kind of read the body language if you're out there, you know, a, let's say a standing cornfield and someone's brush hog down. You've got a lot of deer in a certain area. What are they doing? You kind of read their temperature and see the intensity in your specific area. That's right. And so now we haven't mentioned the the mature doe. So a second rut occurs with fawns that reach a certain weight. And then also, holy cow, we there's a question up top we, we yeah. didn't skip, but or we skipped. Um, and then also if a doe during November, she's not bred during that first cycle, then 28 days later she's going to cycle again. So um, if your rut is peak breeding is typically let's just say november 10th and you go 28 days from that if she wasn't bred during that cycle then she'll cycle again and so becomes receptive and bucks will chase her and try to find her and and so that's another reason so um second rut to me i like the second rut if i have the habitat in place to where um fawns are gonna gonna reach that weight and become receptive because it's a fantastic fawn is the is the important key into that adult does whenever they become receptive days before they know what's up so they seek out the cover try to hide in a spot to avoid getting chased like crazy and a fawn on the other hand has no idea what's happening so they're just going about their routine i'm going to a food plot at 3 30 in the afternoon and this buck's chasing me or I'm going to come out in the food plot at 8.30 in the morning and this buck's chasing me, not really knowing what's going on. So um, if you have food source and you have the adequate uh, pr- proper habitat, um, that second rut could be phenomenal. So Yeah, absolutely. And, and depending on that adult sex ratio, bucks to does um, in your area, you might not have that many does that don't get bred initially in that, that first rut, the traditional rut. So you're then banking on a lot of the fawns to kind of show you that intensity that uh, the area can have in December, that second rut, quote unquote. So like I said, every area is different. What's this We had a say? question. He said a study by Mississippi State, I think, in Texas showed the most effective time for rattling um, in post rut. Have any, have any, uh, have you guys seen similar results, uh, thoughts? 
I don't know if it – I know that our friend Mickey Hellickson did a mm-hmm. study, and his was rattling the loudest possible for and the longest. longest period of time. Um, I'm not sure of the Se- Mississippi Sequence-wise. Yes. Right. Um, what's, the most, what's the most productive and successful way at rattling was loudest and the longest sequence. So, yep. to me, that kind of blows my mind because right, right. I feel like er- – I, I wouldn't – I haven't had a huge amount of success rattling – Especially in the Ozarks. I've done it in Kansas and places where you've got a 400-acre crop field behind you, and you're like, there's no way they're going downwind of me. I can yeah. rattle. In the Ozarks, it seems like they're going to use their nose, and you rattle, and you're a lot more deer are going to just go downwind and smell you, and you never even know they're there. Uh, when it comes to the rattling, I do know people that have had better success rattling during post-rut, during that that really that second rut mid mid December time frame and swear by that, um, but a lot of the rattling they do is more of the sparring effect and not the really hardcore um, two bucks trying to kill each other type rattling. But I, I it's up to you. To me, the best advice I can give you on rattling is it has to be in the right situation, um, and I would not do it if I can't see downwind and. I can't see deer approaching downwind. Like if I'm set up next to a thicket and I'm like, well, the deer are coming this way to the north, but to the south of me, I still can't see real well. I don't rattle in that situation. Yeah, I'm, I think every area, and then again, the buck to doe ratio has a big response on how those deer in the area respond to rattling on any given time frame, whether it's pre-rut, rut, or post-rut. So really, I think very herd-dependent. Um, and then on top of that, from a day-to-day situation, your setup, and if it will allow you to, um, or deer to not approach downwind. So that's something to keep in mind as well. A couple comments there on Facebook. Um, Kale Norton says, Japanese hops, Johnson grass, constantly fighting both. Will adding more OM eventually keep it from coming back? I believe you mean, do you mean organic matter, Kale? Um, I don't want to speak on that and not know if that's what you're, what you're meaning. Um, however, I will say this, Japanese hops, Johnson grass, very tough. Um, they are, I'm sure you're probably by a creek as both of those spread or can spread traveling in water, those seeds. Um, so as you get floods year in and year out, um, that's bringing in the possibility of new seeds. So what's the phrase? We all live downstream. Yeah. Talk to your friends up north. Yeah. <laughs> or I, or to upstream. Me, the, I don't think adding more organic matter eventually keep them from coming back. I, my assumption would say that's not the solution. That would take a long time, and there's going to be a lot of seed production from those plants done before then. I would, and, and as much as people don't like herbicide and don't, want to use herbicide when it comes to these non-native invasive species, don't mess that up, Matt, (laughs) as he fumbles through the computer. Um, To me, that's where herbicide is key, Um, and it's really hopefully a once-and-done application. Once it's applied, or with Johnson grass, it may take a couple of times, but it's not this constant 
multiple applications every single year that you might see in crop production. It's it's hopefully a once this year and a once the next year or twice a year and then never have to do it again, hopefully. Um, and then grazing is also another great way to control Johnson grass um, in some of your uh, if you graze it during a certain time of the year when it's young, so early summer you can try and graze it down and, and, and fight it off. But ultimately herbicide application is one of the best ways to control these invasives. Kevin asks, anything that landowners could be doing now to prep for spring food plots, turkeys? As you know, I'm thinking of establishing native grasses. I think one of the things that we don't often talk about that much, though, but for a bugging area and for food um, is like the dormant season disking. Yep. For spring turkey season, having those areas that are highly attractive to turkeys um, during that time frame, there could be a strut zone. Um, it's going to bring in insects and a bunch of new forbs that, boom, there you go. Great place to... Um, turkey hunt over and offer something again we talked about uh, earlier in the podcast or live feed was offer something that most people don't do um, and that is definitely dormant season disking not many people do it that's right and and of course when we're talking dormant season disking that's not plowing everything under that's a light disc application to try and encourage more annual plant communities like ragweed so um that's really why we do it. It's not completely turning over the soil, but it's really just trying to, if you have too much grass, I wouldn't recommend doing this where there's Johnson grass. Um, I would really, this is an area where there's too much grass and you want to have more annuals to provide more forage. Um, that's where you would do it. And it would be more of a light application. True conservationist, Mr. Ty, Ty Ross. Tyler Ross. He says, can we hear more about native grasses? We love them. Um, and what are the best steps for finding them in your area? Um, obviously, if you've listened to the podcast, you know we love native grasses and native species. Um, and this is time to shout out for Pure Air Natives out of the St. Louis area. Um, that's who we work with and have developed some blends or mix, made some blends with them that's hopefully more cost effective for everybody uh, from from screening to bedding areas to making areas for uh, summer grazing for the cattle farmers out there. Uh, we really just worked with them to put some, spe some species together in a blend that's not the more expensive um, seeds, some more of the rare species, but more cost-effective where you get the benefit of the natives but don't have to pay the really, really expensive price. So it's right around 100 to 150, maybe 175 an acre. Um, with those blends. So go to purenatives.com, check those out. Um, as far as finding them in your area, um, I, I, for me, I'm trying to step back to what I tried to find was native. I would just Google native grass, um, seed Missouri. And, uh, that's how I started finding the ones. And, and then you just look at who's, who has the ability to provide the species that I'm looking for. So, uh, there is native grass seed uh, across the country, but to me, a lot of those are really just trying to get it a lot of bartering going on guys trying to to go to different companies because they don't have one available because native grass seeds are really uh it can be rare sometimes but when it are native native species native plant species so the wildflowers but i'd just say go to pureairnatives.com to check it out and see what they have available that's the easiest way right yeah yeah, absolutely. Um, we heard about plums in the recent podcast. When is the best time to plant them? Uh, when it comes to trees, the dormant season planting is 
usually the most successful. So planted a lot of trees in the October time frame uh, before you really get um, a lot of very consistent frost. These trees are dormant at this time frame, and um, the ground is very workable. And so a lot of times plant them then. What is that dibble bar? Isn't that what they a call dibble it? Stick. Dibble yep. stick. Dibble um, stick. That's a nice little tool for planting trees, especially when it comes to plant plums. And when you're planting plums, it's not just – I don't typically want to plant them in a row like you mm -mm. do with other things. I want to try and plant them in clusters and make those kind of cubby headquarter areas, which is just replicating the way they usually grow uh, in nature. Absolutely. So plant them in the fall or – or winter, and hopefully when the ground's not frozen, and and or, or a March time frame, or March, yeah, October, March would but be. Try not to be planting when they're blooming, yeah. or <laughs> during the summer. Um, so right now is your time to purchase some plums and get them in the ground. Um, what do we got? I know we have There's some. Right on there. There. Do you guys ever do no-till with successful results? Um, if you're referring to no-till drilling. Um, yes, absolutely. absolutely. That is the preferred way to plant our food plots and native grasses. If you're talking about no-till planting without a no-till, so we're not using more of a broadcast application, yes, we're still um, successful yep. with it. Um, not quite as successful as using a no-till drill, though. So, um, what The key for that is what we found um, is to do it right before a rain, a good forecasted rain, um, where it's not too heavy but just a nice steady quarter to half inch inch of rain that's going to soak that seed into the ground um, or and having basically a thatch or mulch layer that you're able to lay over top of that seed and kind of protect it break up those water droplets and um, allow that again seed to soak into the soil that's when we have our best success we do that quite often uh, in, in numerous food plots during the fall because the seed sizes tend to be smaller than many of the seeds that are planted in the spring time frame uh, so if they're hard to reach places uh, we absolutely will do a no-till broadcasting method in the right um, I guess with the right weather approaching and have incredible stands for food plots in the fall we're we're really this is a 30 minute podcast so we've got several questions stacking up so we need to roll through some real quick um you guys my favorite habitat guys hands down appreciate it Woo! james ross marshall the third appreciate up, that buddy and he says best way to get rid of thistles in a clover plot um complex question are there a few are there a lot um is this a reoccurring problem um if there's a few just go and pick them or cut them. That's what we've done. Um, if there's a lot of them, uh, it could be trying to, this is the thing, if you're using 2,4-D-B herbicide to try and kill some broad, um, broad leaves in your clover, it really only works on younger plants. Uh, and so if they're already 12 plus inches tall, it's probably going to be mowing. I, I do like mowing clover. Um, I think it's a quick and easy way to control some weeds and knock them back. Um, or another big thing is going back to that planting other species to try and control the amount of nitrogen in the soil and provide more forage. So planting these buckwheats and mill millet or milo in the spring in your clover or wheat and oats and brassicas in the fall to try and add some diversity. And actually it'll help um, support that clover during its dormant time of the year. So um, when it comes to the thistles, try not to let them go to seed. Um, but if they're horrible there, that's where sometimes you got to figure out, like, do I need to punt and move on or what do I need to do? And so when it comes to clover, if you're fighting weeds and fighting weeds 
and you feel like, man, I just can't get ahead, sometimes it's it, you just have to punt and turn it into some other type of crop for a few years and then go back. Basically break the cycle, restart, and go, go back. Um, great question. One other thing is the spot treatment of herbicide too um, on those areas. Best way to get rid of tree of heaven. Um, tree of heaven. Oh, <laughs> another and horrible, squirt. horrible invasive. Yeah. Um, it's super, uh, as a lot of the um, invasives are non-native invasives. They're not very tough. Um, they spread like crazy, but yep. uh, some, shoot, even pure glyphosate kills on, tree on, of heaven. Yeah, especially um, tree of Read heaven. the label. Um, but we've used Tordon RTU on Tree of Heaven, and it absolutely whacks it. But it depends on if it's a huge invasion, probably the most cost-effective will be a pure glyphosate um, or yep. a glyphosate water mix um, will we'll knock it out. Um, but Tree of Heaven's uh, one of the ones that it's it's hard once it gets really established. There's a ton of them, but it's pretty easy to kill with a herbicide. I got one question here. Nate Thomas says, do you think bucks will go back to their main bedding area after the first rut or still um, be a little more unpredictable unpredictable until later? I think that totally depends on the food resources um, as we see change from early season to late season. Where are they at? Um, again, we talked about last week on the Honey Podcast, Southern uh, facing exposures. Uh, so a lot of deer are going to transition and change their bedding area. So that may be the same or may be different. Just depends on your area and the habitat around there, but be looking for, or be looking to kind of correlate bedding and food in your area. Best way to get rid of, uh, no, best time to burn Creek area timber. Um, depends on the area, but that area typically has a lot more moisture do um, really in frost is is big there because there is such uh, higher amounts of moisture so the best time to burn those areas usually and this is not burn um, recommendations or a burn management plan this is just us giving you the best time to burn those um, basically you're looking for the time when the humidity is the lowest so those areas probably best burned in January, February, March, depending on your area. Of course, you're trying to catch that humidity down in the 40s or 30s. Um, but if it's if you have low enough moisture to burn those areas, probably means the other areas that are much better at burning or carrying a fire are much uh, are a little bit more dangerous. So make sure you have good fire lines. Good fire lines, and you're burning probably. Uh, late in the afternoon and you're trying to just creep it through there that's the best time to burn them because those areas is like if if you can finally take a wet bag of leaves yeah. and it dries out enough to burn it that probably Everything means the area else. where the dry bag of leaves is ready to go up in flames exactly right michael Ritchie says i hunt arkansas public land zero ag anywhere please oh, that sounds familiar yeah please speak about types of wild plants for late season to key into for hunting I immediately think of two things, one being red oak species. Um, they Their hard mast is going to last a lot longer than the white oak, so be looking for uh, red oak trees as well as... Depending on where you're at in Arkansas, it could be American beautyberry. Yep, very southern, yeah. And if you, other areas, and I almost hesitate to throw this one out there. Uh-oh. What's your other one? Oh, my other is like young forest, browse. Yeah, that's right, browse. Browse, 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 browse. Young so, forest, so you're looking for clear cuts, a couple-year-old clear cuts, or uh, basic areas that had ripping fires through it. 
um, and knocked a lot of trees back. And there's a lot of stump sprouts that are within the reach of deer. The other one that I've seen um, that I that I say I has I have a little bit hesitation. Oh, I know what you're gonna say. Now. Japanese honeysuckle. Yeah, um, is another one that it's prevalent in Arkansas. Prevalent and it keeps its leaves so long into the winter that if you can find pockets of it, it is uh, you will see honey. You will see browse line on Japanese honeysuckle. In, in areas that have a, a lot of it and areas that have a lot of deer as well. So um, that can be a great food, late season food resource, despite its um, invasive and non-native characteristics. So look into those there, Michael. Any other questions there? I know that we're kind of wrapping up here um, time-wise for the Guys podcast. been playing any Fortnite? I don't even know. What, I think that's a game that kids are playing these <laughs> days, but no. Have not played any Fortnite. Um don't even really know what it looks like. So, sorry, buddy. Um, we nerd out on other things. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, oh, so somebody said not successful yet. Just a side job. Found number one hitless buck dead on neighbor's field. Oh, it's a shame. Sorry about that. So, Oh, looks like we're getting ready to fly a plane with our headgear. <laughs> That'd be awesome, man. Yeah. Maybe one day I'll get the pilot's license. No. I'll never fly with you. Um Anyway, so I think that pretty well covers most of our questions on Instagram. Golly, as I'm well almost... as Facebook here. Yes, and, and we're uh, right at 30 minutes. Yep. So 33 minutes actually. So would you rather? Would you rather during late season uh. hunt um, a standing a Milo field, a standing Milo field, or um, a red oak acorn flat? Standing Milo Field. That would be ideal. <laughs> <laughs> that would be uh, because ideal. Because, one, you can see, um, I've hunted in timber, red oak flats all my life, and it's so annoying because there's yeah. probably 1,500 red oak trees in between where they're bedding and where you are. Yeah. So that's frustrating. It's tough. Um, if you have a late-season food resource like that, uh, like the Standing Milo, I'm going there. That's For right. sure. I, I would say, and, and it's much more confined. Like, yeah, it's exactly. Like you know the destination. Red Absolutely. Oaks is just blah. Those things are everywhere. They can so you're meander, just like, pick, and feed, and it's just enough. Yeah. I've had enough of that. It's almost like, um, would you rather? Well, is this an option to get me out of southern Missouri? Yes, <laughs> yeah. I'll take that yeah. one. <laughs> I'm gone. Yeah. Pack the so truck. Hopefully, everybody enjoyed this podcast. Um, for the listeners on iTunes, Sportsman's Nation, uh, a little bit different. You just ha heard random questions yeah, thrown at in. you. Uh, but the reason for that is because we wanted to give the option of everybody asking questions. And we're going to do this more in the future. Um, and so be sure to check out our Facebook page, Land and Legacy, our YouTube channel, Land and Legacy, and also on Instagram. Um, because you never know when you're going to throw one of these random ones at you. Um, but we will likely get more on a pattern of hopefully a yep. set schedule. We're going to be live so you guys can ask your questions regarding a couple of podcasts ago. Um, prime time now. Good luck, Kevin. He's signing out. And uh, we are signing out as well. Two things real quick. Don't forget, apparel is here. www.landandlegacyapparel.com And two, we want to see you guys wearing that apparel. So Instagram, um, tag us in it. We'll put you on the story. And we if just you want to send see us that a picture of a hat, one of our hats in the most random place, there's a good chance we'll send you another hat Ooh. or shirt Ooh. as those are soon to come. So y'all be watching. And uh, we appreciate you guys listening on every channel. So thanks, guys.